welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. We have another great Minority Spotlight ABCA podcast this week with Adairsville High School head coach Billy Roper. Roper has 29 years coaching baseball in the state of Georgia. Roper also spent 28 years coaching football and stopped this year to watch his son Chris play football at Dartmouth College. Roper played collegiately at Shorter College and upon graduation went right into coaching and teaching. Roper took over as head coach at his alma mater, Adairsville, in 2013 after spending four seasons as an assistant for the Tigers. Prior to joining the staff at Adairsville, Roper was the head coach at Newton High School in Covington for eight years. Roper has a great story being one of the first people in his family to graduate from high school and college. In this episode, we go in depth on what Coach Roper feels like sets Adairsville apart as a community and program. We spend a good portion of this episode on strength training tips for high school baseball players. Let's welcome Billy Roper to the podcast. All right, here with Billy Roper, Adairsville High School head coach since 2013, ABCA High School Rules Committee member. Billy, thanks for jumping on with me. Thank you, sir. Hey, I saw you retweeted the other day. I love this quote myself, but it said, surround yourself with people who fight for you in rooms you're not in. What does that mean? Yes, sir. That's something, you know, after 29 years, I mean, you know, we worry about so much about the the, the X's and O's, but sometimes, you know, I'm just real big about putting people around me that's going to fight for me when I'm not around because as far as my assistants and things like that, you know, when we're out in the public, I'm going to fight for you. And I just want people around me that's going to fight for me. How long did it take you to figure that piece out? Oh, uh, now. I mean, you know, I mean, this, you, um, I was fortunate. I, I was a uh, defensive coordinator and a head coach at 27, head baseball coach at 27. You know, you're, you're at the top of the food chain. You think you know it all, you know this and that. And then it doesn't take too long to figure out that you, uh, you really don't know as much as you thought you did. So, um, you know, over the years, I've gotten better about trying to surround myself with people, A, that, that are my friends. You know, you, you, you know, we are in the battle together. You know, I feel like if we can, um, we can get along off the field, you know, when things, when bullets gets flying on the field, you know, things will go a lot smoother. Was Newton your first opportunity to coach? 
Yes, sir. Uh, well, no, it was my third year of teaching, but my, out of college, I played baseball at Shorter, Shorter College in Rome, Georgia. Uh, my first teaching job was at a school in Lindale, Georgia called Pepperell High School. I uh, really en enjoyed there, but I was coaching football, basketball, and track. I wasn't really involved in baseball. So after one year, I left there and went to Woodstock High School in um, Woodstock, Georgia, helped open that school, stayed there two years. Then a position opened up at Newton High School in Covington. I was there as an assistant for one year. Uh, the head coach left, and I got the job after six years of teaching. <laughs> so I got I became a head baseball coach after six years and a defensive coordinator after five years. So that wasn't the plan for you to get into coaching coming out of Shorter? Uh, yes, yes, sir. I knew I wanted to coach, and I wanted to coach baseball, but I was coaching three sports, and neither was baseball. So uh, at Woodstock, they had a baseball opening a, and a football opening, and I, and I jumped on it. And I've coached football for 28 years. I've coached baseball for 29 years. This is the first year I haven't coached football because I have a freshman at, Darth, at Dartmouth. So I, I, couldn't, I wasn't able to go ahead and travel with and watch him, so I, I dropped football. Yeah, you know, I mean, how, how's your son doing at Dartmouth? Oh man, he's uh he's doing good. You know, we get the little, you know, you know, we text in the morning, text at night. They're um they're really keeping them busy. <laughs> they're keeping them busy, and he's uh, you know, we got him the heated jacket, the heated socks, did all that. I mean, he's probably seen more snow in a month than he's seen in his whole life, but he seems to be enjoying it. How was the recruiting process for him? Uh it was slow in the in in the early process. You know, he was just getting small offers and this and that. And then um, I think it might have been Penn or Harvard got on him. And then once that opened, all the Ivy Leagues started coming. You know, at first we were kind of frustrated that, you know, we're thinking, gosh, we got to get hope to be able to afford this in Georgia. But once the Ivy Leagues came and the um, – military people started coming it just it's like it opened up for them you know so uh it was wild and it seems like Dartmouth's on pretty good run here aren't they with for, for football? oh man they're they're doing good we had an unfortunate you know with coach Tevens passing to coach Tevens we really we really enjoyed meeting him and obviously he you know that was one of the reasons Chris chose them was because of coach Tevens but uh it worked out coach McCorkle who's the head coach now he was Chris's recruiting coordinator so that familiarity was still good and everything worked out, but it was awesome. And your other sons are playing sports also? Yes, sir. My oldest son played played baseball at Truett McConnell College in uh, Cleveland, Georgia, which is where I played. Back then it was JUCO. Out of high school, I went to Truett McConnell two years and I transferred to um, Shorter. So uh, he's he has my namesake and he also followed me there. So that was awesome. How was it coaching your sons in high school? Oh, man, it was – it was stressful. Let me say that it was awesome, but it was stressful. I, I learned what not to do with my first one that made it smoother for my second one. Um, you know, it's in this year, it's kind of weird. Now I look back, it's the first year in nine years. I haven't had a son on the team, so it's different, but, um, you know, there's, there's that, there's that stress of, you, you know, you're harder on them because you don't want people to think that you're, you know, showing favoritism, but, I probably cut my older son a year short because I should have played him earlier, but I didn't because, you know, I didn't want it to seem like I was playing, you know, my son. So I learned that with my second one that 
if my assistants say he needs to be in there and he's the best, he needs to be in there. Yeah, that's where you got to rely on your assistants, don't you? Exactly. Yeah, because exactly. I've said that multiple times. We did father and son episodes, and I've said it multiple times. They either have to be one of your best players or, or never see the field for, for political Exactly. Reasons. And my wife, she uh, she did a good job of keeping me keeping me even ground, you know, reminding me, even though, you know, they are my player, they're also my son, yeah. you know. So the dinner table, you know, early on was – chaotic but as we got better and she kept me she kept me where I needed to be when I was at home reminding me that I am dad and not coach at home yeah I'm glad I played for my dad in college not in high school because I, I didn't have to go home if I didn't want to so I think I was oh, yes. a lot more stressful as a high school player than a college player because you never had to go home if you didn't want to exactly who instilled your love of baseball oh man I think it's just family my family my um I can remember my early ages of staying with my granddad uh, he'd go work out in the garden and we then we throw ball, you know, and this, you know, why we um, I'm, I'm 53. You know, I was born in 71. Um, the stories of my family, you know, in the deep south, not being able to participate in things due because of the way society was. It drove me to maybe play for them also, you know, them getting a chance to see their my dad and my mom seeing their child you know, be able to do things that they wasn't able to do. That that drove me. Extra motivation age. for you, correct? Oh, yes. Oh, and still today, my mom passed three years ago, but still to and to be in the county that I was born in and my parents were born in is what's probably more awesome about it than anything because I'm able to, they're able to see their fruits of their labor. Does that still drive you then to this day? I mean, as, as a black, we don't have too many black head coaches. Does that still drive you to this day? Yes, sir. You know, every, you know, and obviously with it being Black History Month and what's crazy is I'm an African-American coach in a predominantly white town, <laughs> but it's my hometown. So they know me. And like right now, you know, the last eight years, we've only had one African-American on the team and it was my son. Now, you know, it's just me. And but it's never what I love about this place and it's home. And I'm, you know, if they fire me tomorrow, I'm not leaving, you know, this is home, but it's just, I've never, I, I know I'm an African American, but I don't, no one points it out. We're just, we're just baseball. I mean, this is, this town is awesome. You know, it's family, you know, everybody, when you go to the gas station, you know, everybody, it's just, it's just brotherhood. And that's what I love so much about this community. What drew you to take the assistant job? You've been in a head coach, at Newton for a while, what drew you to be an assistant at Daresville? Well, we were about three hours away from my parents. My, my wife's parents are in Rome. My parents live in a small town in Fairmount. It's just they were getting older and they were traveling the roads. And I have the only grandkids. I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest of three boys and I'm the only one with grandkids. It's just it was more based on a family reason than me leaving Newton. I was not unhappy or anything. I just wanted to get back closer to family. So I don't know if, you know, in 2008, you know, the market, that's when the market crashed and everything. I was driving from Covington to Atworth. I took a job at North Cobb High School with Tom Callahan, great friend of mine, for a year. Not knowing I was going to get back home, that's how that's how the good Lord took care of me. But I drove from Covington to Ackworth every day for a year, and then 
a job at my high school opened up as an assistant football and assistant baseball, and I jumped on it to get back home. And four years later, the head baseball coach got the football job, and bam, I, there I was sitting right there for the head baseball. Never dreamt or never thought that I would be the head baseball coach of, of, of my alma mater. Love it. How good is the high school talent in the state of Georgia? Oh man, it's it's awesome. You 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 look at the on draft days, how many kids are coming, you know, out of the state of Georgia. You know, you got East Cobb baseball, what, 40 miles south of us. You got uh Lake Point in Emerson, Georgia, where PBR and perfect game. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it drives us to you you better bring your A game, you know, and we're sitting right between two powerhouses, you know, Calhoun and and Cartersville. And if you want to compete with those guys, you better you know, some, you, you better get your stuff straight. And that's kind of what drives me, you know, year in and year out. Some years talents there, some years talents not, but you gotta, you gotta find a way to, to stay on the field with teams like that. Yeah. I was going to ask you that, you know, with, with PBR and PG being right there, have you seen the talent improve or has the town always been really good? I've always felt like the state of Georgia has always been really good, but do you feel like it's improved just because the amount of tournaments that are played there in the summertime? Talent's always been there, but what, what Lake Point allows you to do is to go there and see it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you hear about the kids that's in South Georgia. You hear about the kids that's, you know, in other areas. But now, you know, you're able to go down to Lake Point. And I'm, I'm 25 minutes from Lake Point. You can go down there and just sit all day and just be amazed at the talent that comes through there. And, just, and now the last four years, we've been hosting uh, our field hosts for uh, Lake Point during the summer. So we're able, it's, now it's a lot of work, but it's, it's, a, it's a way of earning some fundraiser money, but it allows us to see some of the talent at our place. And I even have my, my players work in the f gates and everything, and they get a chance to see what's out there, you know, because they all talk about or have the dreams of, I want to play college baseball. Well, let's come see it. Some of the talent or some of the kids that you're competing against. That's, that's what I always told my boys. It don't really matter you know, if you're the best at your school, if you're the best in your county, how do you match up with kids that's in California, that's Texas, things like that. Do you have a feeder program? You get, you have young. Yes. Kids? Yes, yeah. sir. We have a middle school program, uh, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And I'm fortunate enough. I have an assistant. The head coach of my middle school is Chris Harden. And he was my assistant for six years. Then he went down to the middle school, you know, just to get that experience. And I'm just fortunate enough because he's able to, you know, to instill the same principles that that we instill up here. It's kind of like when they when they leave eighth and ninth, we just keep rolling. That transition is a lot smoother having someone that's been with you. Do you help? You think that helps with participation then because they are feeding into you and they know you and they kind of know the system a little bit? Yes, sir. I mean, it's kind of like, you know. In Georgia, I mean, obviously, we started practice January the 15th. It's cold. It's rainy. You don't get as many practices. That familiarity that they have coming from, from the middle school and the same terminology, it helps us when we do get on the field, we can get going and not really have to, you know, we teach, but we they have a familiarity of what's going on. We say first and thirds, they have an, at least an idea of what we're doing. We talk about base running. You know, they have an idea, and we don't have to spend – that time that we don't have teaching, we can just get rolling. You know, and those Aspen research numbers came out that we talked about at the convention where, you know, I felt like it was a positive because from eight to 12, we have just as many, 
kids playing baseball, you know, I think we're right behind basketball, but do you feel like that's a way to increase participation from the, the to the big field is to for high schools to create feeder programs coming in? Yes, sir. Without a doubt. I mean, I think you start building that. I, you know, I'd say it, we're tigers building that. I want to be a tiger. Like when I grew up, um, I didn't, I lived, I didn't go to a Dareswell elementary, but I went to a feeder elementary school, but we knew what we wanted to be a tiger. Only that's all I can remember is fifth, sixth, seventh grade wanting to be a tiger. And I feel like as long as kids see that and want to be that, they'll stay with you. But, you know, you have kids that come and go and this and that, but I think those are the ones that are, you know, not born into or bred into a Daresville high school. You know, you got, you got kids that parents went to school here, grandparents went to school here. They're not leaving regardless of what's going on. And I think that's very important, especially when you can build that in sixth, seventh, eighth grade to say, hang in there. If things get tough, still hang in there. It's going to get better. Yeah, that's how my high school was. Like you knew in, in middle school, you were going there, and it just built. There's so much pride in Southern Indiana for Memorial High School and Memorial High School graduates, and I have a ton of friends that still live in Evansville, and there's no doubt that their kids are going to go to Memorial. We've even pulled some some guys that we competed against at opposing high schools. Their kids actually go to Memorial High School now, which is crazy for me. Yes, sir. Yep. Well, this small town, it's you know, it's. We're, we're a triple-A school, but we're doing big things here. Our football team has, you know, been region champs the last two years. Our our boys' basketball currently right now are two-time defending region champs. Our girls right now, our boys and girls play play today, tonight, first round of state playoffs. Our girls are region champs for the first time in like 30-something years. Uh, we have strong, you know, soccer program have a strong um jrtc program i mean we're just doing some good things wrestling just finished we had three i mean one two state championships so i mean we're we're doing some good things around here with 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 not a lot of kids you know we um our, a lot of our kids play multiple sports two three sports my kids did we have a, a phenomenal strength and conditioning program uh kurt scoggins our football coach john cud our wrestling coach uh, Spencer Jones, they do a great job with our kids in the weight room, and we're just we're just we're seeing the effects of it. How do you balance what's best for your players and what's best for the program? Well, we you know our kids come in and we we say it from day one. You know, if you're going to play baseball here, the dares well, you're going to lift weights. So when they know that, they got to make a decision: is baseball what I want to do, or do or do I want to be at a dares one? If they choose to be at a dares well, they understand what they're going to do. We start there with the with the foundation. We kind of talk about, you know, building a house. If you want a strong house, we got to have a good foundation. Our strength and conditioning program is our foundation. If you want to play baseball here, you got to have, you know, you got to be a part of that. Then we start getting into obviously with baseball, you know, you got to watch and stretch and bands and do that. We talk about that and stuff. But, you know, I think everything that we do here at Adairsville, especially with baseball, is it's learning how to compete, learning how to challenge yourself, because that's what baseball is. You're dealing with baseball is a game of failures. You're gonna fail. Weight room, you're gonna you're gonna be sore, you're gonna hurt. What do you do when you're that? Are you gonna quit or you're gonna keep keep fighting? We want those kids that continue to fight because if we can win with them in the weight room, win with them in the classroom, you know, we can win with them on the field. What is your protocol for the week then with the, the weight room? Well, we, uh, you know, we, uh, we work five days a week with Wednesday being more of a kind of a, you know, stretching, conditioning uh, day. But I think like Mondays, you know, we, 
we we squat Tuesdays we're upper body Wednesday we're more of a wide day where we're uh, doing the auxiliary lifts Thursday we power clean Fridays Fridays we call it beach day we're kind of just you know feeling good about ourselves but um you know now I I love it I love it yeah Man, you know, you know, like me, it's what you baseball should it should be five days a week. I yeah, I agree. Baseball, we have to be careful with them and make sure you know if they're pitching. But I said, you know, the key is communication. I was a strength conditioning coordinator for six years before I got the, you know, the, my my baseball job. So I tell them, I said, I've been there. But I said, it's all about cooperating and and, and communicating with your with your teacher. If you're hurting, you're pitching a day. Uh, Coach Goggins and Coach Cud, which run our strength condition, they're all they have been baseball coaches. They understand. They understand the dilemma. What is baseball? But we still got to work out. I tell them, look at Arondis Chapman. Look at some of these pitchers. Look at Strider now, Atlanta. I mean, they're in the weight room doing something, you know, so uh, we're going to we're going to stress that to our players. And Strider's mobility program is tremendous. Oh, yes. I mean, that's oh, the yes. thing, like Strider's so strong, but if you look at his mobility program that he does every day, there's a lot of hip opening going on in there, and he, it's amazing how strong he looks, but also how flexible he is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Without a doubt. So, like I said, that's the biggest thing with our foundation that I feel like gives our gives us an edge because Adairs with kids, they've always been tough, and that's the kind of kids we want. If you can add, you know, toughness, inner toughness, and, and work ethic in the weight room, I mean, you can – you can you can do things with those with those kids. How are they? How are what's the progression with cleans? I mean, I, everybody here. I liked cleans. I thought it was great for our players, so we did do them. But I think people get scared with that. With your freshmen, how are you take? How are they taking them through that progression with cleans? Well, we're fortunate enough where our, our kids start start uh, cleaning in seventh grade in Love middle it. school. So Love we're it. trying to get the foundation there, and then in summer. In summer, the football staff and the head coaches, we all do weight training in the summer, and we're hitting them there in the summer also. The progression out there is until they can, until they can, uh, until they can get the format down, they never put weights. They never put weight on. So the bar is 35. So if a freshman's not getting it down, he could technically his first semester do nothing but the bar getting the. Um, you know, getting it down. Then once there, we start putting the weight on. But then even like with our baseball players during the season, now a lot of our football players that play baseball, they don't slow them. They keep doing it because they're, they've been doing it three or four years, but the young ones, we do lightweight. We get, we get the system down, we get it down and tell them just, you know, we're not asking you to go out there and be, you know, 300 pounds, but we can put 135 on there and get some strength using that power through our legs, putting our feet back in the ground. You know, so we're going to we're going to get them with the system and try to get them to learn it before we start putting the weight on it. How do you get them? I think with the, the social comparison piece with this generation, how do you get kids to that point where, hey, you just got to focus on yourself in there? You know, you might be a freshman. Don't look at the seniors or juniors. Just look at how you're improving. Well, I, I would like to say I, I would like to think it's easy, but you, you you know you've been around high school kids. You've been around 13, 14, 15, 16. There's there's so many distractions now. There's so many distractions. Uh, we try to when they come in the weight room, the cell phones don't come in. They go in the box. We try to take out all the distractions. We try to we try to put them in groups, put them in racks with people that's equal to their weight. But we also want to put them with people that's going to push them. 
because you know, you know, with males, you know, a lot of times is they're seeing somebody else do something and they're wanting to try to do it, but we have to taper them back till they learn it. So, you know, we, we, we really structure their weight. We watch the weight. We try to, you know, you're going to have injuries in the weight room, but we try to help limit those injuries by, by watching them. And every one of our weight training classes, we have two instructors in there. There's not one, you know, our weight room can handle about 75 to, to 80, you know, athletes working out. So those guys are going around and they do a very good job of trying to limit, limit injuries. But in order to limit injuries, the, the young men got to know what they're doing. And we do a very good job of that. Like I said, there in the summer, our coaches are here in the summer. You know, there's no off days here today. So we work our tails off. Is it early morning during the school year when they're in there? Uh, you talking about in the summer or, in, or in during the, the day? Fall and spring. When, when do they, or they have weight room class? Oh, we have it. Um, we have four. We're on block schedule, four periods. We have four periods of weight training. Our girls, our girls, man, our girls work out hard here today. They have first period and then second second and third period or co-ed and then fourth is mainly you know our athletes you know so um you know we kind of got them structured where we even have kids that really don't play sports want to take weight training they're more in the co-ed ones second and third but you know our first are dedicated to our girls program and our fourth is dedicated to our to our athletic programs and second and third we just have a mix due to their schedule when are they able to get their nutrition then in uh, they get the nutrition. We have um, our, our head coach. We uh, we have milk shakes. We wow. have bars. We have things like that, and they, they're not charged for it. They go in there and get it. And our cafeteria, they do a great job. They get us the chocolate milk. You know, they, they give us chocolate milk from the cafeteria, and we try to pound that in them. But they're, they're able to get that through through our, our football program, our head coach. Have you noticed your in-game injuries go down with being this regimented in the weight room? Oh, without a doubt. You know, like I said, you have your little ones and everything. But the biggest thing, and, you know, with baseball, I mean, my biggest thing with seeing injuries, I think it's overuse and not taking time off. You know, the issues that I've seen probably in the last 10 years with the the arm issues, you start seeing it's it's with guys that that play 9, 10, 11 months year-round. You know, and as a baseball coach, I'm not going to – try to deter you from playing all year round if that's what you love if that's what you do but that's i think i see more injuries from overuse than i see from from happening in the weight in the weight room now they may not believe that but as eyes walking in i mean i I agree i completely agree with you on that it's not the weight room it's the you know you're playing nine ten years i mean nine ten months and you're throwing the ball at max velocity and speed i mean your your body needs to rest but they don't see that as rest. They see that as me trying to reach a goal that I have. I mean, how do you have that conversation outside the numbers of, okay, here's what the numbers say. You're more likely to get injured if you don't, even if it's just active recovery. And I think you're seeing it more and more on the college side where, you know, even those downtimes, it's still active recovery and they're doing stuff. But that's where the weight room takes care of a lot of that in your, in your downtime with your active recovery. Yes, sir. And we have a phenomenal uh, trainer. Uh, she she kind of, you know, sometimes they just have to hear it from somebody else. because <laughs> We're in their ear. We're telling them they got to get better. Better equals playing all the time. So, I mean, you know, it's sometimes they, they get it from us when we say, you know, here you are. You're competing with this person. You've got to get stronger, bigger, faster, stronger, better. So they sometimes they equate that with playing year around. But 
the balance that we try to get is with our trainer. She lets them know anytime there's an injury, anytime there's a nick and bruise, you know, they go to our trainer. She's letting them, she's keeping up with their stretches. We have a, um, we have a athletic, um, rehab facility in Adairs where our kids are, all of our athletes are able to go there. Um, we have an orthopedic guy, gentleman in Rome, Georgia, which is 20 minutes away where our athletes go to. So we just, when there is something or something, you know, uh, comes up, we try to get on top of it and try to get them back to get them back on the playing field. Has it been good for your area that the Braves have had a team in Rome forever? Um, yes, sir. I mean, we're able to, we, we take the teams there. We watch them. They, they're able to go, you know, like I said, we're, you know, everybody can't afford go to the Braves game and I, I'm putting myself also in that. I mean, I got a family of five. I go to the Braves game. I only get paid once a month, but, um, but what's awesome about the Rome Braves is my oldest son, he's on the grounds crew. Love it. So he's kind of watched, He's been around baseball his whole life, learned the little things through me. What's funny now, he comes back up to the field and tries to tell me how to do stuff. You know, so I'm like, I'm like, easy now. I've been doing this a while too. Just because you're over there with the Rome Braves don't mean you know the best way. But it's just, it allows our kids to go see, you know, see players firsthand of what they strive to be like. Did it help you early on doing football and baseball both, or was it was it a lot? Oh man, I enjoyed it. I loved it. It's I played football and baseball growing up. So, and once I started out, I didn't I didn't know anything else. And if my son wasn't 19 hours away and he was close to where I could watch him, I'd probably still be coaching football. I just I just I love it. There's not I I my wife hated this hate this analogy, you know. It's like I'm married to baseball, but you know, I'm a girlfriend's football, you know. <laughs> she she said I don't really like that, but that's just that's kind of how I equate it. I mean, it's just, there's nothing, there's nothing like Friday night lights. I mean, I love baseball. I love the uh, ins and outs and that, but when those lights come on on a Friday night, there's, there's nothing like it. Who'd you lean on as a young head coach, just getting into it? Who'd you lean on for resources? Well, early on, it was um, at Woodstock. It was a gentleman named Angelo Washington. He was a, he was a, another African-American and, when you are an African-American and you see someone like you, you, you tend to, you tend to go to them. And he was, he was real good early on kind of opening my eyes to how to, how to act in public, how to, you know, how to be a man and, 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 and own up. And, um, and as I went on to um, Newton, I uh, came across a gentleman named uh, Ben Reeves. And I would probably say he's probably had to, the biggest impact on me out of any person in my career because he gave me, he trusted me and gave me the DC job at a young age when I know I wasn't ready, but he saw something in me that I didn't see. And you don't see too many head football coaches. He was my JV baseball coach, <laughs> you know? So that was, that was, that was, I thought that was very humbling that he felt enough to come coach for me and trust me from the defensive side. And, uh, and now his son is, Ben Reeves Jr., I coached his son, but now he's the head football coach at Milton High School in Roswell, Georgia, which is a powerhouse school in, in Georgia. So it just it's all funny just to see it come full circle. What was some of the best advice they gave you early on? Well, it just it, – it, it, with Ben, it wasn't as much as words. It was much as watching him. He, he, was, a, he was a phenomenal husband, a great dad, 
uh, a great friend, a great leader of men, of young men. And we had a young staff, you know, uh, we had get togethers, we had prayer group together. We did things. He just showed us how to be a man. And a lot of the things that I tried to do with my kids, I learned from him just, even though he was a football coach, he, he made time for his kids. Now, early on, you know, we've all done it. Got to cut grass in the summer, this and that. My kids, my my wife was phenomenal in our early years because she basically, I you know, we joked she was a single mom with two kids because dad did football and baseball. But when I was home, I, I, I want to think I was a better dad because of me watching Coach Reeves and how he dealt with his family. Have you ever gotten bad advice? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, you try to – and and – when I say bad advice, I mean like you go to clinics, you go to this and that, and you try to do what the big schools do. You need to do this, you need to do that, and then you go back and try, and you realize, you know, I'm not like that school. Our place is special. This is unique. We need to, you know, do what's what's best for us. You know, I think that's uh, the biggest thing I had as a young age. You know, you go to clinics, you go to this, you try to just pick up everything and take everything back. And this is what we're going to do. And, you know, what works good for, you know, somewhere else isn't what works good for, for us back home. Yeah. And I don't I don't necessarily consider it bad advice. It's just no, no, they, yeah. their, their situation and experience are different than yours. Like, I think that's, yes. that's what everybody I don't think anybody's ever trying to give anybody bad advice. They're just giving yes. advice, but then you have to, as a, as a human, figure out if, if their situation and experience is the same as yours, because it's probably not. So that's where you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Yes. But just as someone telling me bad advice, I have, in my coaching life, I've had a sheltered coaching life because, I, and I mean, I've spent, I've been at five different schools, but I, two of my schools, I've been there 20 years. Yep. So I've been around, I've been fortunate enough to be around the same group of people for a long time. So uh, the people that were around me that I took advice from, I trusted them. What are some things you've added from a practice planning standpoint over the years? Well, I'll say this second stint as a head coach, because I was head coach, then I was an assistant for six years, then I got back to being a head coach. I, I want to think I'm a better coach now because I went back to being an assistant and saw the things that I wanted to make sure. I knew the things that irked me as a head coach that my assistants wasn't able to do. So I tried to be better at those little things to make my to make my head coach's job easier, you know. But um, probably better this second time is practice organization. Uh, the head coach that was here at Adairsel before I got at Eric Bishop, uh, by far probably one of the most organized gentlemen I've ever been around. And some of the practice plans and some of the things he instituted are some of the things that we still do today. Um, I I had my system. I liked doing what I did. But when I got the head coach at Adairsville, I felt like it was more about the kids than it was me. So I just kept doing what he was doing and slowly brought brought some of the things and tweaked some of the things that I liked doing. And I felt like that made the transition a lot easier. But I would like to say that I've, I definitely um, – Pragness organization is what I think I've brought to make to make myself a better coach the second time. Did it allow you to take a little bit of a breather then going back to being an assistant? Oh yes. Oh yes. And I was and I and then I I would like to say I caught up being a better dad with my 
two boys because at that time they were in the third grade and probably pre-K. I was able to be a better dad because the the stresses of the head coach or being up there as much, I didn't have to because he allowed me to go to the rec games. My head coach allowed me to go to the rec games to see my kids. He allowed me, if mom couldn't pick them up, he allowed me to leave to go pick them up. And that is still some of the things that I try to do now as a head coach with my assistants when those family things are rise don't don't feel bad about asking me you know because family first if you're not happy with your family i can't expect you to come out here and, and you know and be the best the best version of yourself for me yeah that i if i had a chance to go back and do it again i'd be better i just was it was hard for me to turn off work oh um, it was for, yes my wife yes, is sir. a saint amy's a saint um I, you know that's a cool thing with my job now is i'm able to spend more time with my kids as as they become young adults um, so I've, I've probably had more experience with my son, especially here in the last three years than I did his first, you know, 18 oh, yes. years of life. Well, I'm still, I still have a 10 year old, so <laughs> I am, I am, you got to redo, definitely a That's better, awesome. you get a redo. definitely a better dad for him and being <laughs> home and being around. I know sometimes he wish I wasn't home, but, um, he's, uh, he's, he's funny. All my th- I got three boys. 20, 23, 19, and 10, and they're all special and they're different, special in their own ways. I got, I did get in a good conversation the other day with somebody about this topic, though, too. It's like, okay, like, you know, I think we all turned out to be pretty good, you know, and, and I think that's the balancing act as a parent. It's like, okay, I, I don't think my, I think my parents did a great job with raising me and my brother. We also had a lot of autonomy back in the old days to kind of do whatever you wanted. And so is it's one of those things as a parent, it's like, okay, I'm pretty self-sufficient because I was allowed to do a lot of things for myself. And is that necessarily a bad thing? You know, and, and I think we got in a really good conversation about it. Cause I'm like, Hey, you, you turned out pretty successful. Yes, sir. Um, so it's one of those things as a parent, like that juggling act. It's like, okay, I want to be involved for them, but I also want them to to grow and become adults. Um, you know, because I, I feel like my kids are on top of things pretty good at, for twenty one and eighteen. So yeah. it's it's well, it's I was just driven. Back. You know, both my parents, you know, both high school dropouts due to reasons. You know, my mom dropped out in eleventh grade because they were sharecroppers. They had to go work. Uh, my dad, his dad passed away, so he had to drop out and become a man. Yeah. So um, a lot of the things that drove me was, you know, my parents and a lack of the things my parents was able to do. You know, and uh, like I tell my kids, I said, y'all got you, you got your hands full, you know. But then my son goes to Ivy League. I can't top that. You know, so he 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 taught me, you know, so but, you know, we just trying to just, you know, we call it in our family trying to change our stars. You know, we want to. We yeah, want you to, want it better for them. Like that that's my hope. Better for them. I, when I'm talking to young coaches, too, like I, I talk about my path and all the sacrifices, but I'm like, I don't want that for anybody else behind me. Like no. I, I don't want people to have to sleep in their office or get plasma to, to coach. Like I, I want it better for the next generation. Of exactly. coaches, just like as a parent. You want it better for your kids, you know, and, and hopefully those small improvements, then it just keeps raising everything up. Well, what's funny is the older they get, you start seeing some of your mannerisms come out in them. You know, like my oldest son, you know, he's he's um, you know, he's artistic. He likes doing things with his hand. But you see him all of a sudden having an interest 
in field maintenance. Never would have thought that, you know, but you start seeing them. They, they see what you're doing and they watch you. They watch you a lot more than you think they are. So my goal with my young men was, you know, to teach them how to be, you know, good men, hopefully, you know, they see me treat their mother the way they need to treat women that way when they're married, you know, they treat them the right way and just, you know, be a good role model. Obviously I'm dad, but I want to give them or set, set an example for them that they'll have something to go by. Hey, you talked about, you know, field rentals for the summer and fundraising that way. What other fundraising do you all do? Well, that's, that's, we're in a small town, you know, and we have, we, we get great support from, uh, from our community, but I'm kind of old school. I really don't, you know, we got all these new inventions now, but I try to just do a couple fundraisers in the fall. Like this summer we did, you know, a chocolate fundraiser with world's chocolate finest and we do a donut sale and the kids, I mean, the community know every year, you know, we're doing that. And our biggest fundraiser is our is our field signs for our field. You know, um, every every participant in the program has this, you know, has to sell three field signs or they, you know, donate money to the program. Because I try to give when I do fundraising, I try to give my parents an opportunity to fundraise it. Or if you don't want to fundraise it, you know, you can pay it if you want to. But we do not, we do not. I do not believe in saying you'd have to pay. $800 to play baseball high at Adairsville High School. Yeah. If I was coming up and the coach said you had to pay so much money to play, I wouldn't have been able to play baseball. And I don't believe in, you know, doing that with parents. So everything we do, we we'll, we'll allow them a chance to fundraise it. But if they choose to pay, they're more than welcome to pay. How much contact do you have with your parents during the year? I, I am, you know, I, I send them reminds and I send them emails. I, um, I communicate with them as much as I can. Any information that I want to give them, I send them to two venues, you know, one by email, one by, you know, our our remind. But I would like to say that, you know, my parents know that we have an open door policy. You can talk to them about anything except playing time. We will not talk about playing time, but we will talk about anything. For instance, like yesterday, we had a JV game. I kept the gate. So I got to talk to every parent that came in and they couldn't believe that the head coach was out there keeping the gate. I said, you know, we got to do what, what it is to make the program runs. Our gate pays for our umpires, you know, well, I'll do whatever it takes, but I feel, I'd like to say that the parents feel comfortable that they can talk to me, you know, if there's anything going on outside of playing time. I think a lot of it just being accessible like that, like taking the gate, like that just, that makes oh, yes. you accessible to them. It's, it's not as intense because it's more of a relaxed situation there. And I think just being accessible as a head coach, allows parents to feel a bit more comfortable to be able to approach you? Well, as hard as it is, you know, I feel like you just have to be transparent. You know, when, when a parent wants to talk to you, I found out, you know, when I was younger, I really didn't know how to handle it. But now just, you know, you just got to be honest. And, and as bad as it hurts or not, if they feel, if they know you're being honest with them and if they know you're treating their kids, you know, the way that I, they want your kids to be treated, I, I think they'll trust you. you know, because at the end of the day, they just want to know, they just want to know the truth. Don't sugarcoat it, just be transparent. And I think I've been able to, to do that later in my career. I do a better job of that now than I did early on, you know, because you were afraid of hurting feelings or this or that. But, you know, I feel like if you're transparent with them, they can at least take that. And you've had two boys come through the program too. Yes, sir. 
know, that, that, yes, that, I think that, that changes perspectives on everything. As a coach, you coach your kids, but then also I think it gives the parents, outside parents, perspective too on you. Well, and that's, you know, I've had parents, you know, ask me why we do these things with fundraisers. And I said, you know, whether it's a, whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea or whatever it is, I'm, I'm paying the same thing you're doing. I'm doing the same thing you're doing because I have a kid in the program also. So even if it's a bad idea I came up with, I'm involved also. If it's funds, I mean, you know, as the head coach, you just need the funds. You really don't care how you get it, but you, you need to know. And if you got things that you know have been making, helping you meet your end, that's the things I stay with. I'm hard to change because I get scared yeah. if I change Well, you don't something want it to else, not work. That, that's the, the scary work, thing with fundraising is if you do something, you spend all this time and it doesn't work, then it's like, okay, I wasted all this time trying to do yes, this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How does the state playoffs work in Georgia? Uh, basically, uh, four teams from each region. Four teams from each region, then obviously one, two, three, and four seed. But next year, I don't quite understand it, but I need to. Next year, it's going to start going into the power playoffs. Are going to the seedings are going to be on the playoff, on the uh, power rankings. Okay. So that's going to uh, change. You know who you schedule. Do you schedule higher classifications because the higher the classifications, the higher the power ranking, uh, who made the playoffs the year before, you know, so it's going to be, it's going to be a different, you know, I'm, I'm kind of learning about it, but it's, you know, you're going to lose a lot of your local rivalries because you're going to have to schedule people that either were in the playoffs the year before or higher classifications to make sure that if you are in the playoffs, you're not that four seed. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, I, I'm glad I grew up in Indiana where everybody got in, you know, and yeah, it's in Iowa, everybody gets in. I just think it, I, I just think if you could make it work that way, let everybody compete. And, yes. And see well, you know, everybody plays I, in your sectional in your area and then go from there. You know, well, we, uh, you know, early on, you know, we used to do the region tournament and I like that because if I was on the bottom tier, it still gave me a chance to make it. But then one year we were like we would have been like the one seed and one of our pitchers got hurt and we wound up not making it. And I was like, I didn't like that because <laughs> the whole year it, it made like your whole year didn't mean anything because you didn't make it through the region tournament, you know. But now it's just, you know, it's kind of like my body of work works for me because the top four teams make it, you know, so I got a chance to be in that. What has the Georgia Dugout Club meant to the state of Georgia? Oh, man, it's, you know, I, I got involved with the Georgia Dugout Tournament early on. And, you know, Harvey, Co you've heard some of these names, Harvey Cochran. I know he's a Hall of Fame. Then we got Coach McDonald right now. Those are the guys, you know, this is year 29 for me. They were they were my age or younger when when I was breaking in. You know, I can't tell you how much knowledge I learned as a young coach. And then they threw on to us. You know, it used to be the BCA, now the ABCA getting involved. Uh, there's there's bigger baseball, not bigger baseball because Georgia's pretty big in baseball, but there's more out there. Get out there and see, you know, learn what other people are doing around the other states and and see other people like you. And I, I'm still in awe of when I come to or when I go to a clinic like Dallas, when you see so many coaches from different areas that have something in, that have the same thing in common with you. And that's the love of baseball. 
I mean, for you are a high school parent, you know, for high school parents or youth coaches, what, what would you like to see from players coming into the program that maybe they don't have before they get to you? I think um, the love for your school and the love for the game. And what I mean by that is you have these, the days are, are changing with social media. They're seeing so much other stuff out there. It's easy to, to become an I person. I want this. I want that. I need people that want, I want we people. I want a daresville to be successful and you still can be successful and get what you want. But I want people that's going to put a daresville first and love the community and love the school like I do, and then still get what you want on the back end because if you're good enough, people are going to find you. Yeah, and that that's the benefit of social media now. Like, if you're good, people are going to know who you are. Like, you don't you don't have to help it; they're going to know. Yes, sir. Do you have yes, a fail sir. forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to set you back, but looking back now, it helped you move forward? Well, I um. When I when I left Newton, I was unsure. I I was getting tugged. My heart was getting tugged about getting back closer to my parents, doing this and that. But I was like, I've I built a program, a respectable program. I'm giving it all up. And I didn't know what was on the backside for me. But who would have ever known that I would be back home in my hometown being the head baseball coach at my alma mater? You know, so I would probably say that's the biggest um, I'm a big podcast person, you know, the pivot, you know, they talk about, you know, the biggest pivot in your life. I mean, I would say that's my biggest pivot is, you know, trusting, trusting in your faith and knowing that he's going to take care of me and my family and, and and put us in a better position. And I never would have thought that I would have been back home working under uh great administration, the principal, the staff. I, I couldn't, I, I feel like I'm the luckiest man alive, but I couldn't ask for a better situation, a better place to be than where I'm at. What were some of the other stories that your parents talked about? I mean, both sharecroppers, you know, that for me, obviously being a white male didn't have to deal with any of that. What were some of their stories that they used to talk about? With the well, days? from day one, you know, I was taught, you know, we're not going to use who we are or what we are as a crutch. I mean, the, the world is how it is. We're not going to use that as a crutch. You, you, if you want anything in life, you're going to have to fight for it. Um, I can still remember riding around town with my mom and she would say, we couldn't go in that front door. We couldn't go in here. And that just baffled me. But being born in 71, we were just on the back end of it, but never knew it. You know, you never knew about it, but just being told things like that, like my dad, I enjoyed playing golf, but I didn't play because I couldn't play because I had to be a caddy. They wouldn't let us play. Now, late 90s, early 2000s, we got my dad a golf set and he started playing golf with us. And that was awesome. But being told those stories of things that you were not allowed to do because of the color of your skin, it, it shaped me more than it hurt me. I, you know, I, I, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry, but I'm like, I'm going to prove you I can do this. I can do this. I want to. If you can leave the door open, if you can crack it, I'm going to bust the door down, you know, and that's kind of been my philosophy. Um, I was the second of my parents, families from 11 on my dad, 12 on my mom. 
I have my administration degree. I, I could go into administration if I want to. You know, I've had it for like 15 years. All that was for my mom and for my dad. I, I remember I I had gotten my specialist at um, Lincoln Memorial in Kentucky to graduation. I wasn't going to go because it's too far. My, my kids were little and my, my mom called me and said, yes, you are. And I was like, mom, I don't want to go. I'm a miss practice. And she was like, and this has stuck with me to a long time. She said, if you graduate, I graduate. And that just blew me away. I'm getting chills right now. You it. know, she was like, yes, you're going because if, if, if you graduate, I graduate. Thinking back to how things were for them, you know, in the fifties and sixties and seventies, it's just, that has pushed me and it still pushes me to today. And we added demographics when you sign up for ABCA membership now, and it's it, it's been really cool to kind of see the demographic numbers jump up for us because I think we're up to like 13 or 14 percent minorities now that are members, and and so that's grown exponentially. I think the diversity committee has done a really good job, and I that's that's been gratifying for me when you walk around our convention now. It's oh yes, it did not look like when I first got into it, you know, yes. 20, you know, 28 years ago mostly white males running around and now you see a little bit of everything which is good which means we're growing in the right direction well and that's one of my mottos or one of the things i teach with my boys and i even teach with my players you know even though they're not african-americans we want to make the uncomfortable comfortable yep. you know um and my i was taking my master's class and i had a um i had a teacher that came out he made me stand up i was the only african-american in in the master's class you know he was, you know, he was like, you know, he heard of a slogan, you know, the, the higher I strive to be, the lesser of me I see, you know, but he said, make the uncomfortable instead of taking that and, 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 and letting that drive you in an anger way, let that be your motivation and make your, make the uncomfortable comfortable. And that's something I've tried to do. And like I said, in my community, I am a minority in my school, I am a minority, but you would never know it. You know, they treat me with the utmost respect. And I think that becomes because I treat them with the utmost respect. And Care talks about it a lot, too. We've got to get to a point of inclusion, you know, where, where it's inclusive. Yes, sir. And, and, and that's that's a big point. I think we, we we're getting better, but it's got to be inclusion where it, there, there are no more barriers for whatever, whatever you look like, whatever you believe, whatever it is where there's no more barriers to, to get to those points. As long as you work hard, you're a good person, you've got ample opportunities to improve yourself and improve your situation. Yes, sir. And that's like I said, I, 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 I instilled that in my kids, you know, my children. I mean, you, you know, we are who we are, love who you are and, and push forward. You know, when one door closes, two doors open. You just got, it's your job is to find that open crack. And when you get that crack, you bust it open. What what are your favorite podcasts then? I'm I am I um, I like to pivot. I've been listening to a couple of, of the ones with ABCA. I um, uh, the wide Dwayne Wade is coming out. You know, with one right now. I listen to that just a lot of them are you know motivational ones. You yep. know, you know that I like I like listening to players because we think you know we see players and athletes and we think they've always been this multi-million dollar person but you hear like where they come from and i've been listening you know to shannon sharp's one and you listen to his family you know his his story no running water 
no electricity, things like that. I can relate to things like that. You know, I can say there's people like me that grew up like me that's still able to make it. You know, so just a lot of motivation, motivational things. Obama has one. I've been listening to his just trying to, you know, not as much on the political side, just seeing how, you know, he's he's being Obama's in rooms president. where you're the, the only one. I don't care what your politics are, and, and you can disagree with me, but I, for me, Obama was presidential. I loved listening to President oh, yes. Obama talk. Like, I, I loved listening to him speak. He was a great or, orator. Yes, sir. He just was very presidential, and um, yep. hopefully we can get back to that at some point because I think we're missing some. I like listening to the people that's had journeys, Yes, you know, where they – I see some characteristics where they have been – the only one in the room and what and what what did they do? What are some things that some things that help get them through when the times were down, you know, things like that. Yep. What about you in the weight room? You have any morning or evening routines that you like? Oh, uh, now I've, now that I'm back in the peed, you know, actually in the gym, the biggest thing that I'm trying to do, I'm 53 now. I can't put up the weight that I used to, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm religious with my, my, my Apple watch. It tells me to get up. I'm big on steps right now. I probably do about 200 pushups a day, but I, I probably get about 20 to 30,000 steps a day. I'm real big on getting my steps and just trying to get my heart rate, heart rate up and keep my heart healthy right now. I, mean, I don't get to push the weight like I used to, but I'm trying to stay healthy on, on that end. How, how are you breaking up your pushups? I 50, 50 push up. I, I can do 50 traditionally at a time and I break my, obviously I can't do 200 at a time, but I do when I wake up in the morning, I start walking around the house. If it's summer, I get outside. I try to do 50 push ups before I, before I get up 50 somewhere in the day, then a hundred somewhere before I go to bed. You know, I try to try to split it up, split it up like that. And I appreciate you jumping on the ABC High School committees with us. You know, again, this is this is a great thing for all of us. But what what have been your thoughts with the committees? Well, that's you know, you all you when when you're a small when you're a coach in a small team, you've always tried to think about or wonder how things come come you know how things how things are formed. You know, and just I hate that I missed this year, but sitting in last year, you know, you just getting to sit around the gentlemen that are in charge of. Uh, enforcing these rules or coming up with rules and then you get a you get a notion that it, it's just all for the betterment of the game you know it's not you're not trying to change the game it's still the America's pastime but you're trying to evolve as baseball evolves so it's kind of unique just to be able to sit there in that room and once again wonder how in the heck did Billy Roper get in this room, you know, but just to seeing how it all come about, you know, it was just kind of, I was quiet, surreal, kind of, you know, just taking it all in. And shout out to Jim Cahill, because Jim, Jim actually recommended you. And I do lean on our high school guys in those regions to recommend people. And he was the first person that when I asked, I'm like, hey, we, we've got to get somebody for that region in here. He was the first person that, that came to his mind. So I, I, thank Jim a lot. And I thank all of our high school guys. They do such a great job. And you, you hit it there. It's like you realize how great the baseball coaching community is because everybody's just trying to do what's best for baseball. Yeah. Coach Cahill and I broke in together. I remember when we were a lot younger, we were actually in the same region 
and then you 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 talk about how does the Georgia dugout club? Obviously, we see that see each other there every year. We still cordial, you know, and speak, and you know, it's all you always wonder. You know, you want to be respected with your peers, and for for you know, coach to be able to to recommend me that that was awesome you know and I still see coach McDonald I'll see him you know at the ABCA he'll speak you know all those guys that just the fact that they know me and they respect me enough to be cordial and ask me how my boy is doing and stuff like that you know I I can't ask for anything better it's just it's just icing on the cake what are some final thoughts before I let you go man I'm just this is all so surreal you know just you know Coming from the beginning I've come from to where I'm at now, where I'm respected, you know, in the state, you know, respected as a colleague, you know, on the ABCA, you know, circuit. It's just it's so surreal. You know, it's everything I've always wanted. Just, you know, I don't have as many wins as some of the people, but just to be, you know, to be known as a peer and be respected as a peer. It's just so surreal. I couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah, but that speaks to volumes of what you're doing. Um, I was in situations like that. The wins and losses aren't always going to be there, but coaches know that, and they see that. Like, I don't think as a coach you always realize people see that stuff. So it's not always about the wins and losses because everybody knows everybody's situation is different where that's where you have respect to your peers. Like, okay, they know your situation. They know how good a job you're doing, and, and that's the most important thing. Yes, sir. And like I said, before we end, I just I just like to give a shout out to my my beautiful wife, Tamara Roper, my my oldest son, BJ Roper, Chris Roper, my middle one and my youngest, Trey Roper, because they they are my they're my rock and they're my inspiration. You know, everything I'm doing is is somehow it's going to come back to them. And I just appreciate them being there with me and you know, accepting my faults and, and loving me regardless. But it's, 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 it's a good ride and it's still a good ride. I'm not going anywhere, but I've just, I couldn't have done it without them. Bailey, thanks for your time, man. Good luck with the rest of the season. Thank you, sir. I love hosting the ABC podcast because I get to listen to the unique stories we have all over the baseball community. And I continually learn new things each week. Best of luck to coach Rope run the Tigers the rest of the way out. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Matt West, and Antonio Walker in the ABC office for all the help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abc.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at CoachB underscore ABCA, or direct message me via the MyBC app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Turn.